Thank you, Sam, and everyone who's been involved this morning. Uh, it's also good to see, I know there's a number of visitors here this morning, and you're very welcome. It's also good to see Adam and Lynn and we Timothy with us this morning. So uh, if you come back this evening uh, up to, to Windsor, uh, you'll hear from Adam and Lynn, just a bit of an update on, on life with them. Last, uh, last Sunday, I showed this slide with uh, 16 I Am statements on it. Uh, and for anyone who, who is visiting, we have been reading our way through this New Testament letter of Ephesians and, and thinking about, amongst other things, our true identity as Christians. So that whenever we consider, well, who am I? Or whenever anyone asks, who are you? We don't only have an answer, we have 16 of them. Uh, and these are all based, if you've been tracking this series with us, these are all based on the first one and a half chapters of Ephesians. And on the way out last Sunday morning, a few people, not to mention anyone's names, Louise, Laurie, and Bev, but a few people asked me if we could produce a card with these uh, statements on it to give out to everyone as a kind of visual reminder. Well, your wish is our command. Mark has redesigned it to look like this. I've got 150 copies of these. And so if you would like one to kind of take away and keep and to remind you of your true identity, then I'll be down there. Please come and grab one of these off me at the end. I was also asked if they could be laminated, but that's pushing it too far. So we're going to begin reading the third uh, chapter this morning. So if you have a Bible, do you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 3? I don't have the, the, the text on the screen. Ephesians chapter 3, if you have a Bible with you, you're on a device. And as always, we will stand for the public reading of God's life-defining word. Let's stand together. So Ephesians 3, starting at the first verse. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which, has not, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God to his holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Please grab a seat. If you can just keep your, uh, your Bible open or, or on screen, please, please look at the beginning of verse 1. 
that we've just read, but also look at the beginning of verse 14, which, which we didn't read. In verse 1, it, it appears as if Paul has started to write or say something, and then he pulls back. So it says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and then he stops. You'll notice in many of our translations or versions, there's a kind of dash, because he stops. Now, if you jump down to verse 14, he picks it up again, and so he says this, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. So it seems that Paul was about to pray for the saints in Ephesus, just like he had done back in chapter 1, verses 17 following. But then he pauses, and he deals with something else, and then he returns to praying in verse 14. Next week, we're going to look at his prayer, verses 14 to 21, which is one of the most quoted, most inspiring prayers in all of Scripture. But today, we're going to consider, what was it that snagged Paul? Well, let's go back to verse 1 for a moment. Because Paul reminds his readers and us that he's writing this letter from prison. But what's really interesting is how he refers to his situation, or rather, who he says he is a prisoner of. Many of you will know that Paul was believed to have been a prisoner in Rome. That's what most people reckon. And so he's under house arrest by day, and he is chained to Roman guards by night. But Paul doesn't describe himself as a prisoner of Rome. He doesn't describe himself as a prisoner of Caesar, which is what you might expect. But what he does say instead is, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Strange. You see, Paul saw Jesus as the ultimate cause and reason behind his imprisonment. From his perspective, he wouldn't be in this cell unless he was meant to be. You see, perspective is everything. How you view events in your life is just as important, maybe even more so, than the events themselves. I say that again. How you view the events that take place in your life is maybe more important than the events themselves. Paul wasn't bound to prison guards. He was ultimately bound to Jesus. Paul had this kind of big or bigger picture perspective. He believed that being locked up had a purpose. He wasn't a prisoner of his circumstances. He was a prisoner of Jesus. And Jesus was in control of his life. Jesus was leading him. Jesus was directing him. Jesus was guiding his every move. You see, Paul believed, as it says in Psalm 37, that the Lord directs the paths of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Or as he writes to the Christians, to the church, to the saints in Rome, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. Yes, Paul is imprisoned, but he is a prisoner of Jesus. So there's far more going on than meets the eye. In fact, the rest of verse 1 confirms the more that is going on. Because what he says is, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. The purpose, the reason I'm here is you. 
That's why I'm. It's not because I've been locked up by the Roman authorities, by Caesar, anyone else. I am here as a prisoner of Jesus for you. It's not an accident. It's not bad luck, bad karma, twist of faith. I am here because it's part of the plan. It's part of the bigger picture. I don't think for a moment Paul wanted to be in prison, nor liked being in prison, but seeing himself as a prisoner of Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles altered everything because perspective is everything. He saw his situation with a God's eye view. He actually is one of those people who lived out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that classic. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. This was Paul's path to take. And therefore, despite the test, despite the stretch, despite the uncomfortable environment and the frustration, Paul was able to say, do you know something? Jesus is in this, and there's purpose to it. Jesus is in this, and there's purpose to it. And I don't know how you react to or how you process that perspective. I don't doubt or deny for a second that it is a challenge. But you know something? See if we can have this perspective in life. It'll save us from a lot of heartache and a lot of head scratching whenever we're wondering what the heck is going on. Jesus is in this. There's a purpose in it. The one thing I would say that is essential in developing and retaining this perspective, this big picture God is in control perspective the essential thing is a heart for God. You see, in any biblical verse or reference that I've just quoted, that is vital. So, Psalm 37, the Lord directs the steps of who? Of the godly. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. If you want to take the right path in life, then according to the Proverbs writer, you need to trust in the Lord with all your heart. You see, the starting point of a big picture perspective's in here. Because unless you have a heart after God, unless you have a heart for God, unless you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then you will struggle to see or sense any purpose or any hope, or you'll even struggle to sense God's very presence in the various circumstances that come your way unless you have a heart, the matter of the heart. Paul is a prisoner of Jesus. He's bound to him forever and he's in this situation for a reason. But here's the question, what exactly does for the sake of you Gentiles mean? It's all very well and good reading these kind of phrases, but what exactly does it mean for the sake of you Gentiles? How does Paul's life and present circumstances benefit the Gentiles? Well, as Paul breaks off, he digresses, as I say, to talk about the mystery that has been revealed and that changes absolutely everything, including their very lives. Now, many things in life are a mystery to us, aren't they? They're dark, they're obscure, they're puzzling. Monday night's events are a good example of this. But the mystery Paul is referring to here 
has been revealed. Yes, it was a bit of a secret at one point and at one level. It was a bit of an enigma, a bit of a conundrum, but not anymore. It's an open secret now, and it has transformed their lives in Ephesus. It has transformed our lives in Belfast, and it has the ability to continue transforming lives. Now, before we get to, to the actual mystery, well, what is this mystery? Before we get to it, Paul makes a pretty bold claim. Because he says that the mystery has been revealed to him. According to verse 5, and I've highlighted it here on the screen, this mystery was not, please don't miss this bit, this mystery was not made known to other generations. The mystery, it was an enigma, it was a conundrum, it was a secret. It was hints, but people didn't quite get it. It was not made known to other generations as it has been now to God's holy apostles and prophets, which, if you look at verse 3, includes him, Paul. And note that it's been revealed. It's not that God's holy prophets and apostles or Paul have somehow figured this out, worked it out, solved the puzzle. This has come via divine revelation. This is from God, something that was formerly hidden has now been unveiled by God, by the Spirit of God. But what is it? What is it that's been revealed that wasn't disclosed to previous generations? Well, verse 6 explicitly tells us, end of verse 4, if you've got your Bible open, it does refer to the mystery of Christ. But in verse 6, it spells it out says this, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ. The shock of this, and I know we miss it. I, I get that. I miss it. The shock of this at the time would have been massive. Through the gospel of Christ, through the good news of Jesus Gentiles can be insiders, no longer rank outsiders. They don't have to do all those things. They don't have to keep all those laws. They don't have to become a Jew in order to be saved and rescued. But through the gospel, because of Jesus, they can belong fully. They can discover their true ID. Now, as we said last week, back in the Old Testament, God did say as part of his covenantal promises that all nations would be blessed through Abraham and his chosen descendants. Israel was to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles, a hope. Plus, the Old Testament prophets, and I referred to this last week, but the Old Testament prophets spoke of a day when all nations would stream to worship God. But the radical nature of God's plan, how God was going to accomplish that, that had still been, still was, a bit of a mystery. But not anymore. It's been revealed, says Paul. And do you know something? It's all about Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection. It's the good news of Jesus. He says it's through the gospel, not through the law, not through circumcision, not through anything else, but through the gospel of grace, Gentiles can be saved along with Jews. And so this mystery 
It's been hidden, has now been revealed, and it's been revealed in graphic terms, and we have been remembering a core aspect of those graphic terms around this table this morning. Jesus is the answer. Access to the Father is now open to all, as Paul wrote in chapter two. Jesus, if you remember back to last week, Jesus is our peace. Jesus makes peace. Jesus proclaims peace. And if you glance down at verse 12, Paul says that in him, in Jesus, and through faith in Jesus, we, Jews, Gentiles, everyone, look at verse 12, may approach God with total freedom, complete confidence. You no longer need to jump through any hoops. You no longer need to do certain things. Through Jesus, it's all about Jesus. And as Paul reveals this mystery in verse six, he refers to three privileges, three blessings that are now part of the Gentiles' story and are now part of our story. Here's the three things again. You're heirs together with Israel. You're members together in one body. You're sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. In other words, listen, Gentiles, you now receive full share of all benefits. This inheritance language that once applied to Israel, now it applies to you. Paul doesn't specifically identify the contents of their inheritance at this point, but he just confirms, do you know something? You're now fellow heirs. It was huge. This was massive. They're also equal members of this, if you were here last week, this new humanity, this one body of Christ. You are now equal members of it. There's no superior, inferior limbs. Every part's essential, every part's needed, every part. Chapter one, verse 13, Paul refers to these Gentile saints being sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And therefore, it seems that this may be what Paul has in mind here first and foremost. They and we now share in the same Holy Spirit who indwells and empowers all those who belong to God, who are in Christ Jesus. You see, for first century Jews and Gentiles, this was mind-blowing. This was earth-shattering. This was life-changing. Borders and boundaries have gone, been removed, and it's all because of Jesus. All because of Jesus. Go back to verse 12. In and through him, we may all approach God with freedom and confidence confidence. There's no restrictions now. There's no rules now. There's no regulations. You see that door that was once set a wee bit? That door is now wide open. That's the mystery that has been revealed. Access to God, relationship with God, reconnection with God is available to all. That's made possible for all through Jesus. So what does Paul do, or what has Paul done with this mystery? That's the mystery. What has Paul done with it? And more interesting, what are we to do with it, according to the apostle? Well, Paul says, even though I'm the least, or the less of the least, it's, it's a weird turn of phrase, even though I am the least of the least of all of God's people. And this is not false modesty. Paul was profoundly aware of his own unworthiness. But even though that's the case, Paul sees himself as a servant of this gospel. 
I'm a servant of this good news. And do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to preach it. I'm going to proclaim the riches of Christ, the boundless riches of Jesus. Which, by the way, is the reason that he is locked up in prison, because he's been doing just that. But he's also going to, as he says, I'm not only going to preach it, I'm going to explain this revealed mystery to everyone and anyone, according to verse 9. You see this mystery, this message, this gospel, this needs to be out there. This needs to be broadcast. This needs to be shared. And so that's what Paul's going to do with it. But then comes the crunch, or a crunch. Because look at verses 10 and 11. His intent, whose intent? God's intent. Here's God's intention was that now, through the church, what? Now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. It is our job to share the gospel. It's over to us, it's down to us. That's God's plan, that's God's strategy, despite how how crazy it sounds. There is no plan B on God's part. His intent, his intention all along is that now, through the church, universal, local, Windsor Baptist Church, the manifold, the multifaceted wisdom of God should be made known. And notice it is should be made known, not should be preached. Paul felt that he should preach it. Others today might do so as well. But the church, all who belong to it, are to make the gospel, the manifold wisdom of God known. We are all ministers of the gospel. The wisdom of God is to be made known through the church. Right now, up on the Antrim coast, the church This local church is making the manifold wisdom of God, the gospel known to a group of international students. And we are in on this. But once again, as you read this letter, there is this cosmic dimension to it. And this is mind-blowing because the church, it says here, makes the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What is that about? It means that the church serves as a witness to the hostile principalities and powers of the wisdom of God. The church serves as a witness to the principalities and powers of the wisdom of God. And what an awesome privilege and responsibility we have, church. Awesome responsibility. You see, to quote the end of verse 11, according to, this is according to God's eternal purpose. This is the plan that he has accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's all about Jesus. And so it's our job as the church to make Jesus known to our families, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our international student visitors, to our colleagues in work, to the world on our doorstep. And it is our job to make Jesus known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. 
How exactly do we do that? How do we do that? Yes, I hear what you're saying, but we have to make it, this, make it through the church. This has been the plan. How? You probably go off in all kinds of ways with that one. But let me stick to what Paul is writing in Ephesians because you see the very first line of chapter four, and we're going to get to chapter four in June. But this is what he says. This is how we do this, I believe. We live a life worthy of the calling we've received. Can I say it again? Because this is what Paul urges the Gentile saints to do. This is what he urges us to do. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So see as we scatter from here, see as we walk out that door or this door, go and live the life. Go and live the life. Go and share Jesus. Go and make the gospel known in your words and in your actions. And Paul finishes this little section, this apparent digression in chapter three. He finishes this little section. He says to the saints in Ephesus, listen, don't be discouraged. I don't want you to be discouraged because I am suffering, because I am locked up in prisoner. Remember, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Perspective is everything. The reason I'm in this place, it's for you. It's for your sake. That is the purpose. And you know, more than that, my suffering, says Paul, and this is a strange one as well, my suffering, says Paul, are your glory. You see, Paul has proclaimed the mystery. He's preached it, he's proclaimed it, he's explained it. It has cost him, but he's done it. And these Gentile people, saints, have responded and they're now rescued, they're now saved, they're now part of this new humanity, they're now part of the church and they are also part of this glorious future. And so as we leave here, I pray that we may be grateful that the mystery has been revealed to us. That Gentiles like us can be saved and have been saved, not because we deserve it, not because we've done anything to warrant it, but we can be saved because of Jesus. And then may we, in light of our true identity in Christ, may we go and make the mystery of Christ, the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God, may we make, go from here and make the gospel of Jesus known to all people in every realm. Through the church. It's over to you. It's over to me. Next week, the prayer. Let's stand together as we close. And we're going to close with a song, Stronger, There is Love That Came for, for Us. I invite you to stand with me. After we sing this song, I'm going to leave a few moments of silence, as we often do, just to give you an opportunity, you to respond, you to take on board God's plan for us, the church, to make this gospel known just want to leave some silence for you to process that, for you to consider that, and for you to work out your response to God's word this morning. Let's sing stronger.